This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. A very good morning to Christian Wright. How are you? I'm doing okay, Catherine. Yep, I'm getting there. And you'll be doing the same thing, working, um, working uh, in yeah. slightly yeah, different I... circumstances from normal. Yes, it was a mad scramble to move everything online, but we did it. Congratulations. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. We celebrate everything, don't we, at the moment? Well, we're going to talk about helping preschoolers develop understanding and the ability to ask questions. Our guest is Wellington speech and language therapist Christian Wright. He says questions are vital to a child's language and cognitive development, even if at times it's a constant stream of what, where, why... (laughs) Or even lots of whys in a row. Why, why, why? It can be a little hard for busy parents, but it's all so important. Christian, what's going on at that age? We all instantly recognise it. What's happening in that person's language, young child's language development? Good question. Um, Basically, little preschoolers are always desperately trying to make um, the world around them make sense or be meaningful to them. So questions are these language tools that they use to develop their understanding of the world around them. So their ability to comprehend questions as they develop that ability is so important to them being able to access interactions and conversations to make choices, which enables you know the reduction of tantrums um, and that ability that they also develop um, because of their comprehension of questions to use questions enables them to begin to fill in the spaces in their thinking or their understanding. So you get that boost in their cognition because they are using these language devices, these tools to fill in the gaps of the world around them that temporarily don't make sense. So um, it is a really a critical tool to a child's language development. And what I want to do today is to help parents to have a basic understanding of the hierarchy of how that develops and um, also to give them some ideas of how I very easily assess it um, with a quick little method that they can do at home, but also strategies to try and teach where the gaps might be. We probably won't get through all of it today because there's quite a few question words, but I thought what we could do is focus on those earlier years, so that one to three-year-old bracket and um, how we can help them. Go ahead, Christian. So um, children, essentially what's happening is when they're developing um, the ability to respond and to ask questions, they follow, um, in in, in essence, a hierarchy of question development. So essentially the first thing that children learn to do is to choose. So making choices, um, so when parents are presenting things to them visually, so two objects or two food items or even verbally to them, um, children learn over um, repeated interactions in this manner that that basically what the parent is doing is they're giving them two options and you don't just have to say the last one that you heard. And and that's one of the first things that happens. Little kids, so one-year-olds, uh, one one-and-a-half-year-olds, um, some of them will get stuck on that idea of they'll just say the last thing that they've heard. And um, uh, a critical step for them is how we enable them to make choices by using a method where um, we present preferred and non-preferred items to give them the idea that sometimes the thing that you're saying isn't the thing that you want. But I'll get into that in a little bit more in a second. Going from choice, they then go into yes-no questions, so being able to respond yes and no. And yes and no is really important because that's where we see a real 
ability for the parent to start quizzing the child using yes-no questions and getting a lot more information from the child because the child can say yes and no. Um, and that can lead uh, go a long way to helping reduce some of the frustrations and tantrums in the early years when children are developing their language ability. Going on from yes and no, you go into what? Um, so the child's ability to begin to label objects, nouns, things around them, responding to what? Then from there into where? So by now we're getting up into the two to three-year-olds and that's where they're starting to be able to, they've gone beyond the earlier where, where they can point to now actually giving you an answer. So beginning to use position words. And then into who? So the child's now able to start responding to who questions. That's that two to three-year-old bracket. And then three to four-year-olds and onwards, we get into the when, the why, and the how. So um, what's interesting when you look at that is, going right back to the beginning, your really early question development, your one-year-olds up to about two-year-olds, really what they're doing is they're learning to respond to the environment about things, things that they want, um, things that they don't want, and um, the names for things. And as they get older, we see that they start to be able to respond and comment on where things are and who people are in the environment, and then eventually going into things like time and, and reason and process. So it's almost like you see the evolution of their cognition as their um, movement along the question hierarchy. As they as they journey along that hierarchy, you see them unpacking their thinking. And um, it's one of the really interesting things with kids is that I've done this so many times. I've got so many stories about my own children. We have five kids, and um, I teach all this, but I make mistakes myself. And, you know, my I remember my three-year-old once coming in from outside crying, and I said, oh, why are you crying, Levi? And um, that sounded really mean when I said it that way, but I said it nicely. And um, so he comes in and, of course, he's three and he's not really at that point where he can respond and give good reasons yet. Uh, so knowing the hierarchy is really helpful because you can take a why question, which is for a, say, three and a four-year-old, and scale it back down that hierarchy, thinking those earlier things like choice, yes, no, what, where so some of those earlier ones can be useful so then it was about adapting it from why are you crying to what happened that's where most parents go and let's say he wasn't able to describe that then i'm turning it into a yes no question so i'm stepping a little bit earlier in the hierarchy so did you hurt your knee and it's yes and so then you, you see how you're simplifying the complexity of the question based on the hierarchy um yeah sorry catherine you go no, no you carry on um, so it's it's really useful for parents to have in their mind, I guess, the hierarchy so that when they realize that their child's not really responding to a question that they can simplify to demystify. That's kind of how I put it. So um, um, thinking about it as being um, if, my, if I have asked my child a question and they're just looking at me blankly then it might be that I need to rephrase it. So I can. So my, my usual go-to is for my two-year-olds um, or even one-and-a-half-year-olds, I'll go straight to yes-no questions um, to try and start getting the conversation moving to give me information. The more information I have, the better I can model the idea of what might be going on for the child and then help them with their language. Um, so one thing that I do um, often with children in terms of trying to assess a child's um, comprehension skills and where they're at, is you can ask a series of questions that essentially follow the same pattern. I'll show you what I mean. So when I meet a child and I want to know about their comprehension, I ask these kinds of questions. So let's just say it's um, a three-year-old. 
I'll start and I'll go, do you eat breakfast? And they'll usually be yes. Then moving on from yes, no questions to what? What do you eat for breakfast? And then I see if they can start to give me the nouns or the things that they've eaten that morning or that they usually eat. Moving on from what to where, where do you eat breakfast? And now I'm sort of teasing out their ability to think about location and then moving on from where to who, who do you eat breakfast with? And then from there to when, when do you eat breakfast? Why do you eat breakfast? How do you eat breakfast? So you can see how I'm moving through the different questions on the hierarchy. And at some point, um, now sometimes it's just because it's developmentally appropriate that the three-year-old can't really respond to the why or the how or maybe even the when. But the, the point is um, when I know roughly um, the, the hierarchy of that development, those kinds of questions help me to get a sense of where does the breakdown occur. You've, and just, given the, a, you've just given the journalist's training list of, of how to conduct <laughs> an interview. Who, what, when, where, why. Do you know, I was thinking about that. Yeah. When I was thinking about talking to you, I thought, that's kind of weird. I'm sort of talking to the Yoda of question asking. No, no you're not. <laughs> getting, back to, getting back to those basics is a mistake that both journalists and parents make, not getting back to them. <laughs> So you so you're probing and you're trying to do what you're checking their understanding and yeah. are you also checking where they're at in their cognitive processing right um, yeah. getting beyond the very the very basic to the whys which require a, you know a more sophisticated kind of thought absolutely and um how children essentially develop questions is comprehension comes first expression comes second so by being exposed to questions at their at the appropriate level to their development, children begin to connect up the dots and then they begin to use some of those question forms. So the only exception to that is why, the dreaded why. Um, children will ask why, but not really understand they're trying to explore reason. And they certainly usually, so often between the ages of three and four, children will start exploring why as a, they'll, they'll start asking it. And then at some point they begin responding to it. But um, the real reason they often ask why is because they just want the parent to keep talking. That's pretty much it. So that I, why is, is is like a joining word or a prompt. Yeah. So you yeah. can you can drive yourself potty if if, if you um, overthink why the why is coming. It's simply a mechanism for keeping a conversation going. Yeah, it is. And you know that because you end up end up in some really mad spaces with your child. Like, I mean, mad in terms of crazy spaces. Like, I remember driving along the road with my boy when he was about three and a half, and he said, um, "I said it's dark now," and he said, "Why?" And then I thought, "Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about planets." Then, you know, well, maybe not. But so I said to him, "Well, the sun's gone down. Why?" Well, it's gone to see the people on the other side of the earth. Why? And then at some point, you just have to just, just completely dismount from it because it's going, like, it's great. You're encouraging the talking, and I'm all for that. But um, sometimes it's a, it's a choice between your sanity at the end of the day and <laughs> feeding language in. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Your, like your, child's, um, your child's intellect and, and future as a, as a genius will not be affected <laughs> by you bringing an end to the whys every now and then. No. Yeah, and then often I'll just go, just because. <laughs> Park it up here. That's not very helpful, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then thinking, I guess um, what I'd like to do for parents is that um, there'll be parents out there who have children that are starting out on this question journey. So I just thought we'd do is look at a couple of um, 
things like choice, yes, no, and maybe what, just to start with. Um, teaching your one to one and a half year old choice, it's really empowering for children. Um, it's one of the earliest, as we said, forms of um, curiosity and, and, and inquiry that leads to, to later questioning de question development because they realize through choice that there are always options. So um, what happens is that, I'll just walk through it really quick because I want to get onto some other stuff, but basically what you do is usually you present two options and often the parents are usually presenting two options that are preferred. And in actual fact, if a child is struggling with choice, a really good way to go about it is to present a non-preferred and a preferred and to present it in that order. So you might be presenting apple that they want to eat and then you choose something that's non-preferred. So either a food item that they absolutely never eat and don't like or um, an absurd object in that moment, like a sock. So I might go um, sock or apple and then they'll say apple because it's the last thing they heard. But I've introduced the idea that there's choice on the table effectively. Then what I do is I reverse the order. So I present apple then sock. And so what's happening now is you're causing this child to begin to move cognitively into the space of becoming critical in their thinking about what they're hearing. Because they'll say often in the very early days, they'll go sock because it's the last thing they heard. Um, and then you present and you give the sock and they look very disgruntled and um, understandably. And then you can do it again. And then you wiggle the apple like you're showing them the apple trying to attract their attention. I said apple first, but keep your mind on apple, even though I've put a distractor after it, which is sock. So children will then begin to separate out and realize, oh, I get it. Sometimes one choice ain't great, one choice is good. And then eventually you move on to the two preferred, so apple, orange. And this gets around that tantrum issue where I've done it myself with my kids when they were younger, where I would go, do you want, and then I would have something that they kind of, um, that they want, two things that they wanted, and they would say the one, they would say the last one, and I would give it to them, and then they would tantrum. And then you would think, far out, what am I raising? Is this child becoming a monster? Like, what is wrong with me or them or whatever? But in actual fact, it's, they wanted the first thing, but they said the last thing. So it's a way to tease it out for children. And then moving on from there, getting into the yes, no, how I usually work on that and teach that to children is I find an item that they really, really like, and I say to them, do you want a biscuit? Um, and when the child reaches for it, as they're reaching for it, I will nod my head and say yes in an animated tone. Then what I do is I just wait a few seconds, and then I show it again. I go yes and nod my head. And what I'm trying to do is give them the idea that I've asked the question, your reach can be paired with yes and a head nod. And um, as you keep playing with that, the children begin to either imitate yes or the head nod. And then I work on no. So what I do there is I will do an activity with them where there's some highly preferred items and I'll present one. And then they're going yes by then because we've worked on it and they're doing better with either head nodding or saying yes. And then what I do is I introduce a non-preferred item. So I'll go, do you want sock? And they'll push it away because they know there's a better option because they now understand choice. So they push it away and then I go, no, and I shake my head. So not so much, no, I'm telling you off. I'm just modeling it. So the tone of voice is, is important. You're not trying to say to them, no, don't push it away. You're saying, no, I don't want it. So no, shaking your head. 
some children will grab the undesired item, and that's actually okay. What you do is let them play with it, wait for them to discard it, then offer it again so that they push it away because they've already touched it and they're not interested in it. Um, and then we move on to the last stage of teaching yes and no, which is where I just try extending it. To once they've become much better at yes and no responses, I'll go things like, you know, do you need help? Yes or no. Are you ready? Yes or no. Um, shall we read the Gruffalo? Yes or no. So you're just extending that idea out cognitively into their world around them. Um, and then following on from there, we get into what. So how I teach what to children is I'll usually start because children are really, um, preschoolers are super egocentric, so they love things that are of high interest to them, things that meet their needs. So what I will usually do is present something that I know is of high interest to them, and I will say, what's this? And usually it's something that they've already explored quite a lot. And so it might be a ball, for example, if your child loves a ball. And it's even better when the child... Um, has been attempting this word, but it doesn't matter if they haven't because you're going to be teaching it anyway as part of this process. So I'll say to them, what's this? And the child's looking at me and there's no response. And then I'll immediately go, ball. And then I'll give it to them, let them play with it. I take it back and then I re reach into my bag and I maybe pull out a different ball, but it's the same concept. So I'll go, what's this? And so you're trying to create that um, stimulus response where the child understands, oh, ball is the term that I take. When I hear what's this, it means name name this thing. Um, and then I introduce other objects of high interest similarly. Excellent. Um, I've got some questions. Shall we sure. pause yeah, and do yeah, part two it. next time so we can do yeah, some yeah, questions? Excellent. Um, okay. My 27-month-old keeps asking the same questions. What is that? What is he, she doing in both English and Mandarin fluently? Even after I tell him the answer often in Mandarin and English, I ask him or her, what do you think? He actually knows the answer, but still asks, why is that, please? Thank you. I think you've answered, but, re but just elaborate. Yeah, sure. No, and that's great that he is doing it. Um, so that's really appropriate to his age and stage. And he's worked out, what's that? Like a lot of kids will do, was that? that they'll do their version of it. Um, and they do it, it almost becomes a game because they know the answer and they want to, it's like you're verbally confirming to them what they know and it's very reassuring. So um, what's, so they'll point to the cup, they know it's cup, what's that? And I go cup and they'll go, hey, and they'll laugh. And then sometimes what I will then do is I'll turn it on them and I'll go, what's that? And I'll see if they can say cup. And they usually can because they've already, because he's 27 months old, he will be able to. Um, but also they'll try to do your head in because what they start to do is they realise, which is why questions are important, it's a tool to develop your vocabulary. What's that is a vocabulary developing tool. So they start using it on everything in the world around them. If you can stomach it, um, enrol with it and keep labelling the objects because it is helpful because you're, you are effectively their walking dictionary. So they're accessing you, you're your Wikipedia to them, and uh, Walkopedia maybe, and they are accessing you and pulling all of this knowledge out of you. So children who ask a lot of questions is brilliant because it shows that curiosity to learn, and we want to keep encouraging it. And can it take many forms? I can think of a bright little spark um, very close to me whose go-to is, 
what's so-and-so doing? You know, what's Christian yeah. doing? What's Kenshin yeah. doing? What? And is that the same thing? It's their go-to to explore. Yes, it is. And that's another step on. So in what development, many children will go, what's that? That's the one to two-year-old. But the two to three-year-old starts to go, what's so-and-so doing? They'll start to think about verbs. So they've moved from nouns to verbs and they're exploring verbs with you. So, And also it's that thing of they're showing a really healthy interest in people because by design, we're designed to relate. So that's awesome because they're actually, it's essentially like saying, how's your day going? But they can't ask a how question. So they'll just ask you what you're doing. I have a three and a half year old who does not ask questions, I think that's meant to be, and indeed will avoid speaking and use non-verbal communication as much as possible. Any sentences are usually delivered as questions. He will, for example, say, did you get an apple, talking about himself, rather than I have an apple? At what point should I be concerned about speech development? Yeah, I would be wanting to look into that further. Um, So by three and a half, usually you've got a range of questions that you can ask. And also you are very, very talkative. Um, so I would want to have a look at that. And there are, um, it sounds like what that child's doing is they have heard, um, they've, they're using catchphrases. So they have heard a parent say something like, do you want one? Did you get an apple? Whatever it might be. So they are having trouble trying to work out language. So what they do is they take sound bites of language and they use those sound bites. So they'll do sometimes do things like um, say thing. You, you'll see some children when they're having language learning issues, they'll go, um, uh, "You did a great job, good boy." They'll, and they'll it's like a it's like a, uh, they've, they've paraphrased it from their parents' responses to them, but they haven't quite worked out how to take their own speaking turn. So yeah, um, I would look into that further if I was that parent. Um, to get to the bottom of what's going on there and um, why he he or she is preferring to be non-verbal and not asking many questions. And I have another one for you. It is, I have a three and a half year old, oh no, that's just done that one, have I? No. Oh gosh, I'm going to love to have some printed paper back one day. It still has its place when you have a lot of information to deal with in a short period of time. Here's one more. My four-and-a-half-year-old has delayed speech. He is currently working with a speech therapist. He has been speaking for 12 months. With regards to starting school, at what stage do you feel he should be at before going to school? My other two kids have dyslexia and APD, which is auditory processing disorder. Mm. Um, That's a hard one to answer without having met him, but what I would suggest is, um, and I don't mean to say this as that the parent hasn't already thought about it, but starting with a conversation with their speech therapist at this point to talk about the transition to school and what that's going to look like and is the child ready? Because you don't legally have to be at school till you're six and many schools are happy to do staggered starts so they'll allow children to build up their time at school based on the child's um, stamina and their linguistic abilities, their developmental readiness. So... Um, Yes, I, that is a good question to be asking, and I would be wondering it myself, and I would be wanting to talk more with my speech therapist around, with his current level of functioning linguistically, do you think he's ready for school? Is it a good time to start when he's five? And what would be um, the best fit for him? Like, would it be Montessori? Um, uh, would it be a Steiner school? Would it be a typical state school? Um, so there's lots of different philosophies within schools as well. 
So just trying to think around that and have the expertise of the speech therapist and your own expertise, because you know your child the best of anyone. And um, I think that your concern is well-founded. The last is an observation, but we'll share it. My ultimate why? Question from my then five-year-old son as we drove past a field with a mare and new foal. How does it get out? asked Matthew. Remainder of 20-minute drive to school was spent explaining how a foal was birthed. When we arrived at school, I meant, how does it get out of the paddock? I couldn't see a gate. (laughs) (laughs) Later that same day, are foals born with hooves? So he was listening. (laughs) He's now 16, so he's remembered the basics. Thank you, Christian. Really appreciate your time always. Thanks so much. Christian Wright, speech-language therapist.